Amen. Wasn't that some awesome worship? Thank you, guys. It's a great song. Well, good morning and welcome to church. It is great to see you guys. Hey, I know I'm normally up here the third Sunday of the month, and if you guys actually do the math, it's not the third Sunday. Um, Sorry about the fake out. We actually switched Sundays just this month. Um, We'll be back on track next month, but uh, I'm happy to be with you and to get to share um, together. You know, we are coming to the end of January, and um, the end of January is kind of a sad, depressing time. Um, because it is the time of the year where we begin to give up those New Year's resolutions that we so committed to dearly at the end of 2022. As a matter of fact, people who study these things say that about 50% of us have given up by now on something. Something that we set out to do that was good and, uh, you know, supposed to be life-changing. We have already given up on it. Another 40% will give up on something else throughout the year. Only about 10% of people actually stick through with what they commit to, um, at least in the beginning of the year. And uh, with that sad statistic in mind, I thought I'd ask you guys a question. Um, What's the last thing you can recall giving up on? I mean, that last moment in your life that you can think of, maybe it's a New Year's resolution, um, but one of those moments where you're like, you know what, I just want to give up this. And not a good thing, but in a bad way. You know, something that you knew you you were supposed to be committed to, Something that maybe you were like, hey, this is my future, this is maybe a job or a career, maybe it was a person or a relationship, and you're like, you know what, this just turned into something that's too much for me. It's too overwhelming, it's too hard. Um, I know for me, it's more of a situational thing. Uh, Just last week, I had this feeling, and and I really wanted to give up, but my wife didn't let me. Um, Last weekend, the reason I wasn't here to share last weekend is we went away for my my daughter had a soccer tournament, a big soccer tournament out in Las Vegas. And so as a family, it was her birthday last week. We thought, okay, let's go away for the weekend to lovely Las Vegas for a birthday and and soccer tournament. And it was a big tournament. Um, She got to play teams from all over the country, so it was really exciting. And uh, we were supposed to be there until uh, Monday, but it was Sunday night. She had lost her semifinal game, I guess you could say, and um, we, we weren't going on to the next day. So we thought, you know what, there's a storm back over here. If you guys remember last Sunday, it was rainy. I don't know, every week it's been rainy, but um, last Sunday it's been rainy. And so we were like, you know what, let's get back early and let's beat that storm. And so we jetted out of Vegas at about 7 o'clock. Uh, we were done with the smoke and all that stuff, and we were like ready to go home and, and get home and enjoy being home again. And um, no sooner than probably like 20 minutes outside of Vegas on the 15, we realized we didn't beat the storm. It's like immediately we just drove head into just crazy weather. It was like 20 minutes into this drive, and it's already pouring rain. And right, I'm, I'm from Orange County. I'm a Southern California person, so driving in the rain, like for me, it's bad when I have to drive through someone's sprinklers, let alone like rain. You know, it's like I, I didn't grow up in the Midwest or somewhere crazy like that. So I'm like, I'm white knuckling it as I'm driving, and it's, it's pouring rain, so much so that you can't see the lanes. You know, where you kind of have to drive based on everyone's taillights. And, you know, if one guy goes off the cliff, we're all going off the cliff. It's like that kind of weather. And then the wind kicks in and these big rigs that you drive next to on that, on that windy kind of passes and roads there, these big rigs are cutting over two lanes. I mean, it's chaotic on this road. And, and, um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm driving. And I'm like totally like 
kind of like, I, I'm, act, I'm in this big truck, you know, my truck, acting like I've got it, I'm in control, but inside I'm like, oh crud, I don't know, we're, we're like spinning, my wife's just like happy next to me thinking everything's okay, I'm like, we're gonna die, you know, my, my daughter in the back seat at one point, she goes, daddy, are we gonna die? And I'm like, <laughs> secretly inside, I'm like, probably, just the way like, but I'm like, I'm like, you are if you keep asking dumb questions, you know, and, and like, it's kind of like, uh, it's like, and, I, and, when my, and when she asked that, I like leaned over to my wife. I'm like, you know, like we could go back right now. I know it's Vegas, but like, it's better than this storm. Like, I, I, I know home lies ahead, but we could turn around. We could go back. Like, we've got a hotel room that we paid for through the night or, you know, like we could, it would be safer, easier to not go this way. And my wife's like, no way, we're going home. We could see our friends and all this. And I'm like... I wish, and, and, and you've probably felt that moment in your life where you just wish whatever you're getting into, whatever you're, you're facing, you just wish you could kind of turn around and go back to safety, turn around and get out of it, take the easy way out. And that is, if you know that mentality, if you understand that feeling, that is kind of the mentality and feeling that the, the audience of, of the early church in the book of Hebrews, that's what they were feeling when this book was written to them in particular when it concerned their faith. Uh, The book of Hebrews we're going to jump into in a series that we're going to begin over the next kind of five months on the third Sundays when we're here. Um, And Hebrews chapter 11 um, is where we're going to be. But the book of Hebrews as a whole was written to a group of people who they were kind of standing at the edge of their faith. They were Jewish converts who had become Christians who had stepped forward and accepted Jesus and kind of stepped out of the the culture that they were so used to and so normalized in and stepped into a new reality as they accepted Jesus in their life. And and now things were different. Their relationships were different. The people they associated with were different. The way they did things were different. And in their culture and society, they were finding tremendous difficulties fitting in. There was persecution. There was people looking down on them. There was groups that wouldn't even accept them anymore because they were no longer considered standard or traditional Jews. They were completed Jews, ones that had accepted the Messiah. And so they, they kind of faced this point in their faith with the persecution and everything going on where they were kind of standing at the edge, looking down, going, I don't know if I want to go forward with this. I think it'd be a lot safer if we went back to just our standard Judaism. If we kind of turn back to the things we could touch and see and, and, and all the elements that we had in front of us there as Jews, like it, it would be a lot easier if we turned around and kind of gave up on this Jesus thing and, and, and turned back. And so the book of Hebrews was written by whom I believe to be the Apostle Paul, and that's what most of the early church and early church historians accepted to be true too. And so I'll refer to the Apostle Paul as we talk about it, but it's unnamed in the book. The Apostle Paul, or the author here, writes this letter to this group of Christians saying, look, Jesus is better than any other way. And he kind of lays out Jesus versus the Old Testament systems of sacrifice, Jesus versus the Old Testament priesthood, Jesus versus everything else in this book. And he's saying, look, you need to move forward with Jesus. Don't turn back. Don't give up on this. It's all about him. Keep moving forward. And he says, look, it it all comes down to, as we get into chapter 11, It all comes down to faith. And and, in our series, we're going to be in and we're going to journey through chapter 11. We're going to take different stories and examples and, and, and aspects of the idea of faith. Right? Faith is central to everything we look at in this series, right? And I know that sometimes when you hear the word faith, you're like, oh, that's child's play. 
That's kind of like the beginning blocks of Christianity. That's like what new people do. Like, I want to hear the deep theological stuff. Give me all the like Greek grammar and, and, and impress me and wow me with this and that. It's like faith. That's kind of like kid stuff. Well, as we go through this series, and I think as we go through these examples, I think you're going to see that, that faith is fundamental to everything that happens in your Christian life, to every bit of growth, to every bit of development, to every deep aspect that you will have in your relationship with God, faith is there. So faith isn't just the building blocks, it's everything. And, 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 and you know, when it comes to faith, it's kind of a convoluted topic. I know in the church, it's kind of overdone, right? When we talk about faith, sometimes people's mind thinks to, slips to those, those kind of word faith people, people that are of the name it and claim it type of, uh, of deal, right? Faith is, is me about kind of like believing in something so much that God's going to help me manifest it. And if I trust God enough, faith means that this is going to happen in my life. God's going to do what I want. It's not exactly what the Bible describes as faith. But there's also kind of those general ideas in the world about faith, Right? People, I, I, call, I kind of call it the optimistic and the pessimistic views of faith. There's, there's, and you'll notice this all across the world. People that, there's all the, the faith optimists, right? There are people that are just like, you know what? I have faith that good things are going to happen. I have faith, you know, yeah, maybe there's God up there, maybe there's not, but I have faith that it's all going to work out in the end, man. I have faith that it's all good. I have faith that it, it's kind of like blind optimism, right? Or kind of like I call it parachute faith. There's a lot of people out there in this world that they love to buy the signs, they love to say they have faith, but they don't want it to to make them uncomfortable in their world. It's like a parachute that feels good to know that you have it on, and you sure as heck hope that when you pull the ripcord one day, it's going to save you. And there's a lot of people like that in this world. Then there's also the pessimists. There's the people who kind of stand outside and look down on faith, and they kind of look at faith and they're like, you know what, faith, right, that's kind of for people, you know, people who want to hold on to those old systems of religion, of order, of structure. They kind of want to hold on to the past. It's, it's like blind allegiance. They look at faith as kind of outdated and archaic, anti-intellectual, right? They kind of look at it as like, it's kind of cute when kids believe in fairy tales and the Easter bunny, but, but at some point you've got to grow up. And there's, a, there's a lot of people who look at faith like that and they kind of look down on faith, right? Faith for them is just kind of a naive, um, unfounded belief in a system. Right? But when you come to the scriptures and to the Bible, and when you become, we get into this series and we look through Hebrews chapter 11 and we really get into faith, I mean, you find something completely and utterly different from these views. Faith, as we're going to see in this series, faith changes our lives and the world we live in. Faith, it reverses the tide of battles. It stopped the mouth of lions. Faith, Jesus said, just the tiniest bit, a mustard seed grain of faith, will move mountains. No, faith is not a a blind hope in the dark. It's not holding on to dead religions. It's not manifesting what you want to happen in your life. Faith is something that steadies our lives, something that gives us direction. It ultimately makes us into those people that drive through life with confidence. Don't just fear every turn ahead on the road of life. Don't just drive looking at the taillights of other people and just hope they're going in the right direction. Man, there's, there's those people, and you'll see them drive through in the storm, that they have confidence. They have surety. They know where they're going. And in Hebrews chapter 11, that's exactly what we're going to get to. 
This chapter, as I kind of mentioned, is an overview of faith. Some of you have studied the Bibles before or maybe heard a lot of messages. When you've come to Hebrews 11, it's, it's got all these cheesy titles from preachers and pastors, right? It's the, the Hall of Faith or somebody put it as God's All-Stars. Um, what are the other cheesy ones? Uh, the Heroes of the Faith, right? It's kind of almost as if these people who are, we're going to look at in this chapter as we go through this series, these people are put in there because they're so famous and amazing and awesome, So God couldn't help but collect a group of all-stars. But in all reality, as we get into this chapter, you're going to see these people are like you and me. (laughs) They're every bit of an all-star as you are and I am. They're just normal people dealing with fears, dealing with issues. They make big blunders, big mistakes. They have huge problems. And they are in this chapter, as we go through these people, they're in this chapter for one thing and one thing alone. It's not because they're so good. It's not because their lives were so put together. It's not because they had all the answers, but it's because they had faith. They had a trust in a God that did amazing things in their lives. And each week, we're going to dive into a different group of these people. But um, as we observe that, we kind of have to understand that Paul has ended chapter 10 by telling these people who are kind of standing at the edge, he goes, look, we do not believe or we do not belong. We are not of those people who shrink back and are destroyed. We're not people who are turning back and giving up, but we move forward in faith and are saved in our souls. So he's kind of set the scene and he's going, look, the way forward in life, in your relationship, in your walk with God, is not to shrink back and go back to the easy things, not to give up, but to move forward in faith. And so he starts chapter 11 by kind of giving us a definition of faith. So that's what we're going to take today as our text. Let me read to you the first three verses. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen are not made of the things which are visible. So faith, of course, as he's saying, this is the way forward. Faith, um, faith, as he starts here, he goes, faith. It starts with this idea that faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is a super rich statement. I love this statement. He goes, faith is the substance. That word for substance, it's just a simple word that meant it's what stands under something. It's the foundation of something. When they used it in their day, they used it as a business contract kind of of word. It was was used to kind of as as a, a basis or a guarantee for the deals they made in that Roman time. We find it in a lot of different contracts. It's kind of, if you think of it, it's it's another good word for it is faith is the title deed or the pink slip of what you're hoping for. Right? And and what kind of to, to, to narrow that down, Paul would be saying, look, as its basis, your faith has the promises of God. And when your faith is standing on the promises of God, or God, and that's the substance underneath them, your faith in that has as much reality as the Bible or the phone that you're holding in your hands right now. There is something real that we stand upon as we move forward. Uh, Faith means that I live with a confidence, a trust, a surety that what God says and promises are true. Right? Or, Or a simplistic way of putting it is, faith is living as if the hope you have is a present reality. Faith isn't just an up here type of thing. No, faith means I'm standing on something and now that something is a reality in my life. I'm going to take God at his word so it's now going to affect my life, how I deal with things and how I live. It's not a naive stab in the dark. It's not giving life your best shot and hoping that something good's going to happen. 
No, real faith takes what God has revealed, what God says about life, what God has promised, and it makes that the foundation to which you stand on as you now live and move. It's now your reality, right? The, the reality we live in is often what we perceive and feel in this world, right? When I, when I turn on the news and I hear really bad news and I'm taking that in and I see what's going on, oh, now, now my reality is I'm worried, I'm upset, I'm grumpy, I'm angry at that. I'm this. I base what, I, what I'm going to feel and how I'm going to act based on what, what's going on in front of me, right? When, when I feel overwhelmed and a situation seems too big for me, the way I react is according to that situation and what I see and what I feel. When things seem bleak, now I'm depressed, right? My base for how I deal with life is often what I see and what I sense and what I feel from this outside world. But faith is almost better looked at as almost like a sixth sense, something deeper, Where you take the promises of God, you take the things that God has revealed to you, you take the truth that God has revealed about himself, and you now adjust and react to your reality based on that, not what's going on out here. Right? Faith says, look, I know, because I have the secure of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, I know I have everlasting life. I don't need to fear death. Look, I feel alone. Well, God promises he'll never leave me or forsake me. Right, look, I probably can't do this. I don't have the strength to do this. I don't know. I feel like I'm in over my head. Well, God promises that he, will begin, or he that began a good work in me will finish it. Right? What about this diagnosis? What about the fear I have of what's going to happen if I, if I die, this, that, or the other? Look, God says we don't need to fear death. There's no sting to it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Am I going to make it? Do I have enough for tomorrow, Right? My God shall provide all your needs in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4. And the promises and the hope we can get from God goes on and on and on for hours. If you were to take God at his word. Right? But a promise ultimately is only as good as the one who makes it, right? And your faith will only be as strong as what you place it in. And Paul says, look what he's saying here. Your substance, where you stand, Where you place your faith is ultimately what's going to make the hope that you have in your life real. That's why your faith has to be placed in the Lord. It's not just hoping generally that things are going to work out. It's not just following what other people do and go, well, it worked out for them, so it should work out for me. I have faith. It's not just trying your best, throwing it up there and being like, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. It's not also trying to manipulate things and doing things in your own strength and trying to control everything in your life. That's not faith. Faith ultimately finds its substance in a willingness to trust God over everything else in our lives. I remember this when I first got into ministry. I might have told this story before. If I did, sorry. Um, But probably like almost 20 years ago, I had my first opportunity. I had been helping out in a youth ministry and shared with kids on a small, like, individual level. But the pastor of our church that I grew up in came to me. He goes, Justin, like, you know, you're a young guy, 21, 22 years old. I want you, this is a real dumb decision by him, but he goes, I want you to do whatever ministry you want that's an outreach to young kids on Friday nights here at the church. Just whatever you want however much money you need, whatever you want, like, it's yours. And I'm like, what? You know, cool. Like, I thought I knew everything. I still do, unfortunately. But, like, I thought then I was really bad. Like, um, I I, I was like, I was like, I know exactly what I'll do, Pastor. 
And I, I, I told him, I go, I'm going to have my brother. He's got a band. He's in high school. He didn't go to church or anything like that. But like, he's in a band. He's in high school. It's like a cover band. They play all these pop songs. They're like Red Hot Chili Peppers and stuff. Like all this stuff. And I go, I'm going to bring him into the church. I think it'll be a good idea to have them be my music. And like, maybe I'll make them learn like one or two cheesy like worship songs and like throw those in as a bone for all the Christians. But like, you know, then they'll bring all their friends who are in high school. And then, man, it's perfect. I'm like right at the right age where I'm like 21. These kids think I'm so cool. I'll talk to all these little teenagers. And man, I will just give them, I, 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 you old guys who preach, like you don't know anything on how to reach the young kids. Like I've got funny jokes. I know like, you know, I know all the culture, blah, 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 blah. And I was so prideful and arrogant. Plus on top of that, there was all these volunteers who were like older people. And they're in coming in to serve like this little 22 year, 21 year old punk. And like, I had him doing whatever I wanted. I was like, whoa, this is cool. Like, I want to be a pastor. And I even had like, this is so lame. I even had a name tag made for myself that said Justin Butorek, head shepherd. I'm like pretty sure that's like Jesus's title that I like took for myself as I led this. But it was so bad. Like, I, I, uh. It was a nightmare. It was a mess. And so, like, here we are. Like, I, I, I prepare this message, and I'm like, I, I remember I was like, this, is, this message will kill kids. Like, they're going to just fall over. The Holy Spirit's going to kill them, like, in a good way. Like, it is going to be so great. And so I remember the night that this, this event happened, my brother's band comes up on stage. And, of course, all these kids are there from high school. There was, like, 200, 250 kids, more people than our church even had in it at the time. Like, and they all showed up to see my brother's band. And... Uh, the big problem was my brother went out there to play and, you know, they were there to see their friends and all these rowdy kids were there to hear like crazy music and all that. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to come get him now with a message. Except after the first song, my brother's voice went out and like they were all there to see him. And so my brother was like totally embarrassed. So he just walked off the stage and like his band walked off the stage. And now I've got a whole group of high school kids that are like rowdy and crazy and like they're throwing things at each other it's like the ultimate like if you hate public speaking like kind of like I do I know that I'm up here speaking but like I'm afraid of it it's the open ultimate disaster situation and I remember walking up I, I still I looked out at the crowd from behind the curtain and I was like I got it I got my message here I'm just gonna knock them out and I walked up and I remember it was like a pulpit smaller than this but I walked up in front of this whole crowd I set my message down and I looked up and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't say a single word. I looked at all these kids and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't, how am I going to talk to these people? Like, you ever have that feeling? Like, how am I, what, what can I say to these kids? Like, I, I, suddenly everything I was confident in, everything I was arrogant in, it like all flew out the window. And I'm looking at these kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. And I stared at him. In my head, it felt like three hours. It must have been probably like 10 seconds. And I'm staring at him, and they're like yelling, and they're chanting, and they're doing all these kinds of crazy things. They're being high school kids. Like, and, and I just, I freaked out. I, I totally gave up. I'm like, uh, let me pray. And I prayed, like five-second prayer, walked off the stage. And these kids must have loved it. They were like, church is awesome. It only lasts like 20 seconds long. You know, like, this is not what I remember. And like, I just walked off the stage, and I just, I, I was like, I, I'm a quitter. Like, I gave up. I didn't do it. Like, I don't, I, from that day, I don't, I, it, it kind of sent me into this, like, reimagining, like, I don't want to go into ministry. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I'm not smart enough for people. I'm not bright enough for people. Like, I'm not funny enough. There's a million better preachers than me. I can't even talk to a group of high schoolers who are, like, set up and ready for me. Like, and my pastor pulled me aside and he goes, Justin, 
you'll be fine. And I was like, well, I don't know, man. I just kind of want to end this. He goes, look, you learned an important lesson here that a lot of people don't learn until they get into a situation like you do. Your faith can't be in your own skills, your own abilities, your own means to work things out, your own planning. Because at the end of the day, if that's where your faith and trust is, you're always going to find yourself at some point or another in a situation like this. Something that's too big, something that's too overwhelming, something that's too much for you. Because the fact of the matter is God has worked through a lot of people who had way less skill than you ever will have. God has worked through people and done 10 times more amazing things than you'll ever do through like a donkey who spoke in the Old Testament. Your faith needs to be put in the Lord. Your trust, the place you move from and operate from, and and this is a a lesson I try to remember every time because I still get nervous when I walk out here. I still doubt everything that I've studied. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, all of us have to have this point where we say, you know what? I know that maybe on my own I couldn't do everything. I know that maybe on my own I can't make this situation work out. I know that maybe on my own the future of my kids, the future of my life, whatever I'm going through right now, I can't control it all. This person I'm trusting in ultimately is going to let me down. This system that I'm hoping on, this political party that I want to to fix things, this president, this, that, the other, whatever it is, is ultimately at some point or another going to let me down in this world. But God, that's not what I'm trusting in. God, I'm not going to force you to make my situation work out the way I want it to. I'm just going to trust you. And know that you are who you say you are. Know that you're the one who keeps your promises. You're the one who has all ability, all power, sees the beginning from the end. I don't. We can, when we can begin to operate from this, man, life is so much freer. Faith is something that so, it brings with it freedom. It brings with it hope. It brings with it the, the promise of a better tomorrow. Not that we're going to have our situation go the way we want it, but the fact that, look, it all doesn't rely upon us. So Paul says, look, faith is the substance of what we're hoping for. And that substance has to be the Lord. It has to be God. But he also says it's the evidence of things not seen. There in verse 1. This is a great counter to it. He goes, look, uh, some of your Bibles in, in, in for that word for evidence, it might say conviction or, or confidence. And Paul's idea is, look, faith is that trust, that confidence, that conviction that we live our lives in, but it's beyond what we can see. Paul would say over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And when it comes to faith, you have to understand this. At one point or another, you have to let go of what you can see and feel and handle in front of you, and you're trusting in something that's not seen. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, we believe, we believe and we trust in a God who's not confined to a body like you and me. Jesus says in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. It's like, God is spirit. You can't see that. You can't touch that. You can't force it to happen. And I've often kind of wondered, and maybe you've been like this, like, why, why are we dealing with the whole in the dark thing? Why can't we see God right now in front of us? Why doesn't he just, or, or, or at bare minimum, why doesn't he just give us some miraculous sign or like, I don't know, show up on a reality TV show and just prove once and for all that like, oh man, cool, God's real. I can trust that. I can see it. 
Well, I mean, number one, to start, Paul is never saying that you're never going to see the evidence of God or be able to see God's work in your life. It's not his point, but what his point really is, is look, our problem has never really been seeing. I mean, that's kind of what the whole Old Testament kind of points out when you look at the Israelites, right? It's like the, the things they saw. Look at the Israelites when they were called out of Egypt, right? Uh, I mean, imagine this. Every day you walk outside in manna, bread was raining from heaven, right? I, I, I mean, they saw that. That, that, that conf- blows my mind that, that food fell from the sky. It's like, not just that, but like every day when they would go out, there was a, a, a cloud overhead that would lead them and guide them and a pillar of fire that went before them at night. A pillar of fire. How reassuring is that? God's here. See that pillar over there of fire? It just goes on. It's like, whoa. Not only that, how about this? At one point when they were being chased by the Egyptians out of Egypt, what happened? They came to the Red Sea and they're like, man, we could never make it past this. God tells Moses, raise your hands, and, and, and the Red Sea parts, and they literally walk through on dry land, come through the other side, and then they watch the greatest army in the world at that time, the Egyptian army, head into that sea and then be swallowed up and taken out. Yet where were they weeks later? The, uh, at the base of Mount Horeb, building a golden idol, bowing down and worshiping that golden calf. Faith at the end of the day, or seeing at the end of the day, it didn't move them any closer to being faithful. Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, they walked with God in a perfect environment. One person comes up, the first person that comes up and challenges them on that. Has God really said, as the serpent comes up to Eve, has God really said that you shouldn't eat of that fruit? The answer is, of course he said I shouldn't do that, so I'm going to trust God. But the first thing that comes up, what happens? She goes, you know what, maybe I better eat of this fruit. Maybe God's holding out on me. They saw God, they walked with God, there they were. You see, our problem has never been seeing. Our problem has always been with trusting. Right? Any relationship that has real meaning, any valuable relationship in your life, ultimately has to have trust and faith as a base for it. And faith and trust operate outside of seeing. But just because you don't see something, it's not to say there's nothing for us to base our faith on, right? Paul's point here as he's, as he's getting into chapter 11 of Hebrews is, look, you have a, a radical, amazing reality to base your faith on. And he's going to give us example of, after example of people that have trusted in God when they couldn't see him. Walk by faith, and God has showed up and done amazing, amazing things. And though God is not standing before us in physical form, though he's not giving you a GPS in your life of exactly what you should do and shouldn't do, though he's not standing here over your shoulder like Jiminy the Cricket going, no, go left, you know, don't do that, don't do that. Though he's not there in that sense, right? Christian faith doesn't mean it's a blind faith. We believe in something that's real even though we can't see it. The rest of this chapter really points that out as we go through it. People held on to God's faithfulness and reality in the midst of lives that were difficult and troubled just like ours. They trusted God, which is why we can do the same, having his promises, having understood what he's done in our lives, having given the spirit of God within each and every one of us to move us and guide us and shape us into who he wants us to be. We are now able to see that evidence once we trust in him. And to move forward. It kind of brings us to this final understanding of faith as he's kind of laying out what faith is 
before he gets into these examples. He says in verse three, I love this verse. He says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. It's kind of meant to take us all back to the beginning. And he goes, look, faith was there at the beginning. When he says the word there, worlds, it's the word for ages. It's like from the beginning, God has been there working out all of time, all of history. Everything you see around you, all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? None of us were there. None of us saw him doing it, speaking the galaxies into existence, speaking the stars into existence. We don't know by what method or process he filled the seas. We, we just know that he spoke and it happened. And if we take that as a fact, man, it makes the best sense of the world around us. By faith, we understand. We couldn't see it happen. We weren't there. But by faith, we understand the intricate systems of creation around us. I, I mean, look. There's a lot of funny, kind of outrageous sometimes views of how this world came into existence. Right, of course, you've got the theist view that God created it, spoke it into existence here that we find Paul talking about. But I mean, other people, there's the, the, the biggest counter is, is the Big Bang Theory, which most of you have heard or studied at one point in school, right? That all of matter and, and, and everything was condensed into to something about the size of a pinhead and then superheated and exploded into everything we see in some sense in our reality right now. And that's one of the many theories, right? There's, I mean, it's fun to kind of jump into all the new theories, right? There's theories that we're living in kind of a virtual simulation, right? The matrix theory. There's theories that there's multi-dimensions and, you know, one dimension keeps beginning another dimension and it's good, the multiverse theory, right? And, and you go on and on. I'm, I'm a pastor, right? I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I'm this scientist with all these, you know, I hate when pastors do that. They act like they're, you know, that's their field of study. It's not my field of study. But I'll tell you this one thing, no matter what you get into, no matter what, you know, when you take God out of the equation, eventually you do what, what I call calling, uh, climbing up the ladder. Any theory goes this way. Right, okay, what happened with the Big Bang? All matter was condensed into this. Okay, where'd the matter come from? Uh, where'd the space come from? Well, where did the time come from? And, and, and then they jump back, and, and wherever they go, you just trace it up the ladder. Where did it all come from? Eventually, no matter what theory, what system you get into, you take God out of the equation, you get to the statement that everything came from nothing, which is totally nonsensical. I mean, right? Every, at a certain point, no matter what theory you're into out there, you have to come to this. Everything came from nothing. And I'm sorry, but that takes way more faith to believe than I have available to me. When I look around and I, I now hear the Bible that says God created, in the beginning time, God created the heavens and the earth, space, matter. I see everything came into existence by the word of God. I go, wow, that makes sense of the intricate systems. That makes sense of the reality that I see. That makes sense of, of what goes on in people when they comprehend beauty. Of what happens in each and every one of us when we love. All the things that you can't explain by science or by, by, by some intricate system. That, that makes sense of the, of the moral systems that we have. That makes sense of everything in my reality. And I'll take God at his word for that. Did he make it explode? I don't know. I wasn't there. I just know he spoke it into existence. I know that he was the creator. And I'm not going to argue all the details, 
But at some point or another, you're either going to say, everything came from nothing, or God created everything. And I have faith that God did that. And he's saying, look, we take God at his word, if that's where you're going to start. My faith, ultimately, at the end, has something real behind it. There is an explanation to the world around me. And my faith gives reason for that, evidence for that. It's by my faith that all of a sudden, this universe suddenly makes sense. And through it, I connect with the creator and maker of this world. I love what C.S. Lewis said. One of my favorite books of his called The Way to Glory. In one of his essays, he wrote and he said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Right? As we journey through faith here, as we understand what faith really is, the real takeaway as you begin to kind of now look at faith is not that I have a hope in that things will turn out good. It's not that I'm holding on to an old archaic religious system. It's not that I'm going to say things and believe hard enough and God's going to make them happen. No, faith. Faith takes God at his word and says, you know what, above all, the foundation for my life is a trust in you, Lord. Is a trust, I can't figure out everything. I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do with these problems. I don't know how I'm going to get through this or that or this storm ahead. But you know what, God? I do know that you are true. I do know that you are faithful. I do know that when I screw up and I mess up and I lose faith, you're still faithful. You're still God. You're still powerful. I'm going to make that the basis for my life and how I deal with everything out here for how I deal with my problems. When I'm scared, when I'm worried, when I'm freaking out, I've got you, God. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know the answer to this problem, but I do know that you're here. I do know that you're real. I do know that I have something to stand on when everyone else feels like turning around, turning back, running to safety, getting out of this storm, and I can make it. I can do it. I can move forward. That's the basis for faith. That's the radical faith that Christianity calls us to. That's the faith that moves mountains. It's the faith that faces our fears and our obstacles. It's the faith that moves us forward in life. And it's not just a faith we talk about. It's not just a faith we believe in here. It's a faith we stand on and now move forward. And it starts ultimately with Jesus Christ. You want to know what kind of God you're trusting in? You want to know how God loves you? You want to know how faithful God is? You only have to look as far as that cross that Jesus went to for each and every one of us. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. If we look at ourselves, man, I have to admit, I'm the most unfaithful, selfish, arrogant person. And God looked at that and he goes, look, I'm going to send my son to die for you that you might have that foundation to stand on. And when you put your faith and your trust in me, and when you believe in me as your Lord and Savior, you now have a foundation, a foundation for a relationship with me, for a God. All those promises, all that hope that I offer now belongs to you. Because you're right with me. Trust in me. Walk with me. Keep moving forward. Don't turn back. And you're going to find that God does amazing things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so very much. This is we reflect on faith here to know that
(laughs) As much faith as we wish we had, God, you're even more faithful to us, to who you are, to your love for us. And God, we don't deserve that. We couldn't earn that. We have to admit we're just sinners. We're people who often go astray. And Lord, that's why we need your son, Jesus, so bad. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of us. And thank you for giving us that foundation to now live a life of faith, of trust in you. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us a future. Thank you for giving us promises that we don't deserve. Help us to live with that as the reality for our lives and trust you more and more each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys will please stand. We're going to close in one final song here. Um, But real quick, look, if you're here today and maybe you want to make that decision, maybe you're hearing about faith and you're like, you know what, I've been in one of those groups. I just believe faith is this kind of feel-good thing or I believe faith is this archaic belief in God or I believe faith is name it and claim it. You know what? Faith really ultimately starts with Jesus. And if you've never made that decision in this room to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, to accept his death on the cross for your sins, there are going to be people up here or even next to you in this audience who would love to pray with you. Come on up here. There will be people down front who will pray with you. But, but grab someone and say, you know what? I want, I want to pray. I want to accept Jesus. And make him the Lord and Savior of your life. Just accept him into your heart and you're going to see God does amazing things. And for for all of us, if we've got that base in our lives, let's step out this week. Let's let faith be the reality of our lives. Let's let our hope in God be what we're trusting in more than people, situations, our own abilities and skills. Um, As we close, let me give you just a few announcements. Um, Real quick here, on Wednesday night, we are going to be gathering here at the church for what we call Together. Together is an awesome, awesome time that as a whole church, we get together. We have the youth group in here. Um, we, have, um, we have basically break the whole sanctuary down into tables, and we serve you a, a, an amazing meal. We're going to have the taco cart out here, so if you like Mexican food, uh, join us on Wednesday at 6 o'clock p.m. It's a free meal, um, awesome, amazing meal. Um, grab a friend, grab someone. Pastor Dave will be sharing a message. We're going to have Nate and the worship band up here leading us in worship. It is just a great night to just... Get to know other people, to talk, to hang out, to make friends, to conversate as a church, and just be together as God's people. Uh, that's the intent and point of it. And so I would encourage you guys, grab someone. Um, if, if you don't have anyone to grab, just come. You're going to find people here who would love to hang out with you and sit with you and talk. Um, but join us on Wednesday night, um, 6 o'clock to about 7.30. And then uh, the following morning, uh, if you didn't get enough, uh, our ladies are going to be meeting here, ladies, uh, for our women's study. Um, they begin this Thursday morning. It's called A Living Hope, and it's a, it's a study through the book of, of 1 Peter. And so um, all the ladies are going to be having a great time. There's small groups. There's all kinds of things going on for them. So I encourage you, ladies, uh, you can sign up at the table out front after the service if you haven't yet done so. Um, but grab your Bibles, join us, uh, or join them, um, and uh, you'll enjoy it. Um, and finally, um, just, a, just a little side note, um, we are taking a, a missions, little missions team of about 13 people down to Nicaragua in early March. And so there is a group of us headed down there, and the intent of this missions trip, the short-term missions trip, is to spend a week going down to kind of a, a church that uh, I've become friends with down there, Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel of Managua uh, in Nicaragua, and to, um, to do different service projects at their church. But not just that, um, they have a growing youth ministry uh, and outreach to young teens at that church in the barrio, the really 
War, really low down place in their neighborhood. And a lot of these teens have been coming out to their church and, and you know, the pastor there said, hey, Justin, would you bring a group of people down and do something special for these teens? Like they've never been outside the city. They've never done anything special. And so um, we're going down there and we're actually going to bring them to kind of like their own day long. Um, we're taking them an hour outside the city to this like place out in the, out in the hills, out in the boonies, the rainforest, like where they've created this Christian retreat center for young kids. And so we're going to take all these teens who have never even been outside their city um, to kind of like an overnighter trip to these hills, and uh, we're going to be teaching them messages and, and just having great time, you know, doing, doing a, basically a youth camp right now. All of our kids, our teenagers, um, junior hires and high schoolers are away at youth camp. And that thing costs like 250 bucks per kid to go. This thing's like 50 or 70 bucks per kid to send a kid from Nicaragua to their camp. And so we just thought, you know what? This would be really fun. We're going down there. We're going to do some building projects. We're going to help out at local schools. Um, all this is to let you know that um, you can get involved with that without even having to go down there. <laughs> um, we've already got the team set. We're all heading down there. But um, we are taking donations. You can go on to ccpacifichills.org slash Nicaragua. And you can go on there and whatever um, suits you, whatever you kind of feel and led to do, you can give a general donation. You can buy or sponsor a, one of those Nicaraguan kids um, trips to a, a retreat. I think it's 70 bucks. You can buy, we're going we're gonna to do a computer classroom for the local school there of all the children that go to that church. Um, you can buy a $200 Chromebook or a $20 set of headphones, whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of cool things. So if you guys head to ccpacifichills.org slash Nicaragua, um, you have an opportunity to give if you feel so led. And we would appreciate that as uh, we're committed to doing some cool stuff down there. Uh, well, God bless you guys and have a great week. If you want to continue your worship after the song, the ushers will be receiving the tithes and offerings in the lobby there. God bless you.